My name is Nate Bush, lead pastor of New City Church. So glad you're here with us. If we don't have your information or if you're new to New City, I want to encourage you to text NEW uh, to the number on the screen. It, it'll be a way for you uh, to get connected with us, for us to connect with you, also to inform you of all the things that are going on. And we have a lot going on this week. Uh, pastor Roger has put together a wonderful series of teachings that will be released every morning this week. You can find them on our social media pages. You can find them on our website. We're calling it Together to the Cross. I really hope you will join with us and journey together to the cross. It's going to be spiritually form formational for me and for you and for all of us to be focused on Jesus during this week. And boy, we really need that kind of focus. On Thursday, we have a Monday-Thursday service, which will be uh, a phenomenal time to take communion together and to celebrate the Lord Jesus. Uh, we will have a Good Friday service as well, and obviously our Easter Sunday services. And I want to encourage you to, to invite your friends. Uh, it's never been easier to invite a friend to an Easter service. Uh, all you have to do is hit share on social media, and they don't even have to get dressed uh, up to come. Not that anybody had to get dressed up to begin with to come, but there, there's I mean, really little effort to attend uh, an Easter service this year. And I really hope that you will do everything in your power to invite your friends to an Easter celebration at New City Church. Uh, I really am looking forward to it. Speaking of, all right, the Lord's Supper and Monday Thursday services. Uh, I was uh, just walking through Facebook this week and I came across this really cool graphic of what if the Last Supper was a Zoom call. Since a lot of us have spent time on Zoom uh, lately, I, I was just imagining what the Last Supper would have been like uh, on a Zoom call. You can imagine Jesus sort of saying, hey, uh, Peter, uh, uh, unmute yourself. Uh, Peter, Peter, you're, you're muted. Uh, you, you can imagine uh, Jesus saying, Judas, uh, mute yourself. In fact, don't ever unmute yourself. Just stay, just stay, stay muted. I don't know if Last Supper jokes are appropriate at this time, but that's, that's what I have to start us off today. Listen, it's a time right now. We're living in a time that, that's a time to slow down. Uh, I think actually we're in the point of this crisis where everything is beginning to slow for all of us. Uh, but what's interesting in the narrative of Jesus is everything now is beginning to slow, at least in Luke's gospel, it's beginning to slow down. Yeah, the loose, the, the, our passage this week opens up in verse 28 this way. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. And what's happening here is Luke is saying, hey, let's slow down. Uh, he's drawing for us a picture. He's saying, I want you to imagine going up to Jerusalem. I want you to imagine uh, being on top of uh, the Mount of Olives, looking down into the Kidron Valley to, to look up and, and see uh, the Temple Mount and the walls surrounding the city of Jerusalem to see, uh, to, to visualize what Jesus is seeing and to walk into this particular narrative. In fact, Luke is teaching us through, in this passage, observation and contemplation. Uh, what's absent in our passage today is any kind of teaching or instruction. That, uh, that, that is not uh, what Luke is emphasizing. He's saying, I want you to see what others failed to see. Uh, you see, in Luke 19.42, Jesus said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You don't see them. And Luke is saying in his narrative, I want you to see what others did not see. You see, if you want peace, you have to slow down and contemplate 
the Prince of Peace. Luke's gospel opens up in Luke chapter 2. You see uh, the angel speaking to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, quoting from Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, hear me, Prince, Prince of Peace. Joel Green, in his commentary, said Luke's narration of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is slowed considerably and dramatic tension intensified by references to each stage of this final leg of the journey to Jerusalem. Luke is intentionally hitting the, 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 the slow motion button on the text so that we don't miss it. See, we are at a moment in Luke's gospel where everything slows down. Ironically, we're at the moment in our crisis, our current American global crisis, our current pandemic, where everything is beginning to slow down, at least for some of us. If you're a medical professional, I know that you're laughing right now. Nothing's slowing down for you. But for so many of us, life is slowing down. Uh, We don't have the sporting activities for our children, the school activities, the homework load is less, and there are many, many ways in which our life has slowed down. And when life slows, we have time for questions and we have time to contemplate. And I want to encourage you to take a, a thoughtful pause. A thoughtful pause will allow us to evaluate our assumptions and conclusions. See, those who did not see They assumed Jesus was building a kingdom that was bound to a geographic area and a particular ethnic group. And Jesus is busting those narratives wide open. And and, and, and right here in verse 43, he says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and even hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children uh, within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another. He's looking at the city, standing on the Mount of Olives, uh, riding in on the donkey. He sees it. He's looking at Jerusalem. He's visualizing it. He's saying, look, in AD 70, this place is going to be torn down. This is not the kind of thing you'd want a king to say. And he entered into the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. What's he saying? Well, he's quoting from Isaiah 56, 7. In Isaiah 56, 7, it says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. This is a new kind of kingdom, and it's violating expectations. See, the good news of Jesus brings joy for all people in all places, and that is without exception. Again, the angel to the shepherds, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That'll be for who? That'll be for all people. See, King Jesus, this is what everybody needs to hear. King Jesus is not always the king we want, but he is always the king we need. King Jesus is not always going to meet our expectations, but he will never fail to be the king that we need. You see, we want momentary happiness, but we need joy that is not dependent on the happenings of the moment. 
We want momentary peace from suffering, but we need permanent peace that comes from our Savior who suffered to end all suffering. You see, we want to treat our symptoms. That's natural human inclination to treat our symptoms when we need to receive the cure that is Jesus and Jesus alone. So King Jesus is not always the king we want, but he is always the king we need. Listen to the text in verse 35 and following, and they brought it to, they brought the colt, the, the donkey, to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Timothy Keller recognizes, he says, here was Jesus Christ, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, Riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. <laughs> what is happening? What, what kind of entrance? Jesus riding into Jerusalem as the king on a donkey? Well, Zechariah 9.9 is partly to play here. Rejoicing greatly, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is here fulfilling prophecy, but also living in light of his true nature, a humble king. He comes riding into Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem literally means foundation of peace. And some of the Pharisees saw the people recognizing Jesus as king and treating him as a king. And they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples, verse 39. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now I stood on the Mount of Olives. I've looked at this, the city walls. And I can imagine Jesus just sort of referencing these walls of the city built of these massive stones. And saying, don't you see this, this city that is that's built upon a foundation of peace. The city itself would cry out. It's like Jesus is saying, all of creation is crying out for the peace that I bring. In the words of the Apostle Paul, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning, crying out for the new life that God has come to bring. As one commentator put it, wherever Jesus goes, he brings peace. And when he was born, he came to earth, and the angels cried, peace on earth. When the Lord was about to be crucified in a sin to God, the men cried out, peace in heaven. Here is the king of peace entering the city of peace on the beast of peace. Not coming in on a war horse, but on a, on a donkey, on a, on a on humbly mounted. So Jesus is the kind of king whose presence makes you want to both bend your knee to him and reach out to hug him. Jesus is king, all right, without a doubt, king. But he's, he's a humble king. I was reminded of Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Jesus is walking with his disciples and 
as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What kind of king is that? A homeless man? What kind of king is that? A humble king, but what kind of king is that? I don't know about you, but I've been looking. I've been looking for opportunities to worship God in new and fresh ways. This pandemic has me seeking the Lord in new and fresh ways. I hope it is. I hope that's that's happening to you as well. Uh, one of the places I've been going is like worship albums from my past. Uh, I pulled up this worship album this week. It's called the Jesus Record from Rich Mullins and, and his Ragamuffin Band. And I was listening to just this album, and just this was this was album was produced in 1998. I became a Christian right around that time, just before then. Uh, this was one of those albums that just ministered to me and pastored me. And there's a song on the album called "You Did Not Have a Home." The song goes like this: "And you rode an ass's foal. They spread their coats and cut down palms for you and your donkey to walk upon." But the world won't find what it thinks it wants on the back of an ass's foal. So I guess you had to get sold because the world can't stand what it can't own and it can't own you because you did not have a home. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the hope of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. You had the shoulders of a homeless man, no you did not have a home. You know, they wanted a king like all, all the other kings. But what they needed was a lamb that was like no other lamb. They needed Jesus. You see, John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the lamb right away when he saw him. Right away. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sees him. Why? Because Jesus is our Passover Lamb. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. That's who he is. Our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed for our sins once and for all. See, the Passover is the primary story of the Bible. And every year at Passover, a lamb was killed to illustrate the story of God's rescue of his enslaved people. In Exodus 12, 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Or why is this night different from all other nights? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. It's see, the Passover is a celebration of God's rescue of his people out of slavery and bringing them into a life of worship. And the Passover illustrates how Israel was saved by the sacrificial death of an innocent lamb. Our salvation, our salvation is and always will be the result of self-sacrificial love. 
Jesus, our Passover lamb, is innocent and perfect and loving and caring and generous, and he offered for us a substitute. In John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this. That he's <laughs> greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus has done for you and me. He's laid down his life for us. You see, they wanted a king who, who would establish a movement of strength through power, but Jesus came to establish a movement of strength through love. Self-sacrificial love. And I've been reading this passage over and over and over again, and I just wrote down in my journal, why did Jesus weep? Seems to me, this is a question we, we need to know the answer to. You see it in verse 41. And when he drew near, and he saw the city, he saw Jerusalem, he wept. He wept over the city. You see, on Palm Sunday, everybody in Jerusalem was so busy looking for a Passover lamb that they had not slowed down to see the Passover, the Passover lamb <laughs> who came to redeem them from their slavery to sin and death. You might say they were looking for a Passover lamb, but they missed the Passover lamb. In 1 Peter 1.8, the Bible says that you and I were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. In other words, God did not redeem us from our slavery to sin and death with perishable things like, sin and, like, like, like silver and gold but he redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, Jesus is our Passover lamb. It's important that you understand the way that the Holy Week played out. Palm Sunday was uh, the 10th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar. That's important to know. The 14th day was Last Supper. The 15th day was Good Friday. The 17th day was Easter Sunday. Why is that important to know? Well, Jesus, when he weeps, you look at verse 42 again. It says, would that you, even you, had known this day. This day. Well, what was important about Palm Sunday, this day? Well, Palm Sunday was Lamb Selection Day. You read about it in Exodus 12, 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. This is the day you're to choose your lamb, your Passover lamb. You see, in Exodus 12, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, and you shall keep it until, listen, the 14th day, that's when Christ celebrated the Passover, the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Josephus tells us that it, in a pastoral week, as many as 255,000 lambs were, brought, were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple court. So you can imagine what Jerusalem looked like at this time. This was a city where people were just hustling and bustling, busy, busy, making preparations for the Passover. And here is Jesus, 
our Passover lamb, coming down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley to, to rise up again into Jerusalem. On that day, Lamb Selection Day, and so many didn't see him. You see, they wanted a king who would make peace through conflict, but Jesus is the lamb who makes peace through sacrifice. Would that you, with tears in his eyes, Jesus says, would that you, O Jerusalem, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. What is, what is peace, by the way? Well, peace is life as it ought to be. That's peace. It's shalom. It's everything put to rights. See, sin is a violation of the way things ought to be. And anything that is not operating as it should is illustrating, putting on display the curse of sin, like the COVID-19 virus is putting on display the curse of sin. And you and I have a deep inward sense of the way things ought to be because you know innately that there is real purpose and value to life. Like you know it, it's wired into you. That's why it's important for us to, to pay attention this Holy Week. Really pay attention. To journey together, to, to, to listen to the narrative, to, to not miss what others, others missed in the moment. See, on the cross, Jesus was wronged and suffered for your wrongs in order to make everything right again. The way Isaiah says it is, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. Well, how do we get this peace? You know, Paul simply says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what kind of Lord? The kind of Lord we're talking about, the kind that's a lamb. The kind, the kind of king that rides in on a donkey. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But the real question I think is on a lot of people's minds right now, including mine, and my, <laughs> including my daughter, is where is Jesus in all this suffering? I want to tell you that Jesus is right in the middle of it. He's right in the midst of it. It's one of the reasons why we have to pay attention during Holy Week. This is a unique feature of Christianity. It's, a, it's, it's one of those, those things that's hard to wrap your mind around, but when you do, the beauty of it becomes so real. Our God is a God who has suffered. Our God is a God who weeps. Our God is a God who feels pain. Our God is a God who is a victim of injustice. Things that were unfair happened to our God. He experienced those on our behalf. And so when you ask the question, where is God in my suffering? The answer to the question is he's right there with you. You have to see your suffering through the lens of the suffering God. The one who suffered to end all of our suffering. My daughter last week wrote in her sermon notes uh, uh, kind of the big idea from the sermon last week. And she, she wrote down, it was, it was pretty precious. She said, uh, you know, what you're going through may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. But what caught my attention was her question. Uh, she wrote, why did God make people when he knew that they would sin? 
And so we took that to our communion time as a family. And we have, we have a, a, a family of five, and so I have two boys, a 15-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old daughter. And I, I, we sat down as a family, and I said to my boys, I said, hey, does anybody have an answer from, for Evangeline? And we kicked it around. We kicked it around for a little bit because we wanted to walk into it. We didn't want to miss what was right there before us. After some dialogue and conversation, I said, you know, Evangeline, I can't answer the question, why did God create this world and not some other world? I can't answer that question. One day I'll have the answer to that question because I'll go to heaven and I'll ask God myself that question. Why this world and not some other one? But there are some answers that I do know for a fact. One of the answers I do know for a fact is this, that nothing that happens in this world is a surprise to God. Because the Bible says that he is the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Nothing is a surprise to him. You see, because I know nothing is a surprise to God, the sin of Adam and Eve was not a surprise to him either. It's like God the Father in eternity past looked at you in this very moment and he asked a question. He had to have asked this question because it wasn't a surprise to him. It wasn't like God built the house and didn't weigh the cost. Like he weighed the cost. In eternity past, God had to ask a question, this question or one like it. Is it worth it to create a world that can only be redeemed by the loving sacrifice of my son? That, like God evaluated the worthiness of this particular world with this, with this particular circumstances and your particular issues and this particular moment. And you are here today because God said of you, you are worth it. You're worth it to me. You have to hear the words of John 3.16, for God so loved you that he created you. He loves. Look, you know the value of something based on what somebody is willing to pay for it. And Jesus is saying to you, and he's saying to me today, I have given my very life for you. I am your Passover lamb. And if you want peace today, you need to confess that what is eternally true is greater than your momentary circumstance. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Is, is, is the peace of Jesus ruling in your heart today? You see, whatever you have wrapped your sense of self or security around is what you, really rules your heart. And boy, it, it, it doesn't take much for us to be shaken, but we have experienced a lot in these last few weeks. If you have wrapped your identity around your work, you know, you're gonna know pretty soon if, that, if, that's for, that, if that's my real God or not. If you've wrapped your, your, your value around your family and, and peace in your home, if you've wrapped your value around your success, listen, you are extremely vulnerable if you let anything rule your heart other than Jesus because everything in this world is fragile. I mean, no, we, this is a point that I used to have to spend a lot of time illustrating, but I don't have to illustrate this point with, with, a, with a lot of intensity these days because we all know how fragile life can be. So if you want peace, 
you need to slow down and contemplate the Prince of Peace. Jesus is not always the king you want, but he is the king you need, without a doubt. And we all need the peace that only God provides in our life. And can I just pray this blessing over you from 2 Thessalonians 3.16? I just want to pray this, this blessing over you. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. Hear that again. Let that be a word spoken over you. Receive it. Receive it as a blessing. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. See, the world needs the peace that God has given us. The world needs it. And we need to be good news to a world that is desperate for peace. I don't know if it caught your attention in the first reading of our text today, but listen to it again. Jesus says to the two disciples he sends in, he says, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And that's what they did. They went into the village, presumably to a house they didn't recognize, found a colt that they did not know, untied it, and the owners said, hey, what are you doing with the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. So why don't you try that today? You just walk down the street, uh, find a car that you like, get in it, and, and when the owner of the car says, hey, what are you doing with my car? Just say, the Lord has need of it. No, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not, that's not, don't do that. Okay, Albuquerque, seriously, don't do that. Don't, don't, stop. Stop doing that, Albuquerque. Joel Green says this. He says, in this way, the claim of Jesus as Lord supersedes the rights of ownership, just as the requirements of a king supplement those of his subjects. What does the Lord need of yours to bring peace to the world? What is it that he's given you that brings peace to the world? You know, we, we end our, our times of worship at New City, our times of teaching at New City with worship, and during that worship we always promote the ideas of generosity because generosity is a part of our worship. We, we promote communion because communion is one of those places where we remember that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And we, we always invite you to pray. Uh, this week I received an email uh, about generosity that um, well, I, I, wish, I wish you could live in my mind sometimes and, and feel what I feel. And it's impossible for me to, to have you do that. But uh, you know, I want for our church so desperately to be a church that models generosity. One of the ministries that we support pretty heavily here at New City is the New Mexico Dream Center, and Shelly Rep is the director of the Dream Center. Recently, a young girl who was a victim of sex trafficking and who was pregnant needed a place to stay, and Shelly and her husband Dan said yes. And they said the Lord needs it, and they provided a place for this young girl to stay. So some of the, her community group rallied and others from our church rallied and through kind of a virtual baby shower. And Shelly wrote me an email that was way long and I cried in the reading of it 
And I'm just gonna read to you a section of the email. She said, there was simply too much stuff coming in. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I believe, she writes, that when God is pouring in blessings that it's not for us to simply warehouse them, but be a funnel for them. So I'm trying to figure out what to do with this outpouring of things. Do I gently start saying, no thank you for all this flood of baby stuff coming in? And then I get a call from one of my former interns who is now a social worker. There's another young girl who is pregnant and due in a month. She has nothing. Well, not anymore. <laughs> we had duplicate bassinets, duplicate baby bathtubs, duplicate diaper pails, duplicate packs of uh, pack and plays, duplicate everything. And I filled up my forerunner yesterday to drop off items, and we will fill it up again today to do the same. Thanks for being good news. Another young girl now has seen firsthand the beauty and provision of a loving God. I can't say thank you enough to those of you who have purchased items and those who have donated them to care for these young ladies. This is a, this is a time, church, for all of us <laughs> to not only embrace Jesus who brings peace, but to be, <laughs> to be a people of peace. Each week we're going to end our services uh, for the foreseeable future with a prayer that we can pray together. Uh, a prayer that all of us collectively can experience together wherever we are, whenever we're watching this. And I'd like for you to pray with me. The, the prayer will be on the slide and you can read along. Uh, this prayer is a prayer that I hope will be one that we can all rally around. Uh, let's, let's pray together. We are not people of fear. We are people of peace. We are not people who protect our own safety. We are a people who protect our neighbor's safety. We are not people of greed. We are a people of generosity. We are your people, God, giving and loving wherever we are, whatever it costs, as long as it takes, wherever you call us. Amen. God bless.